Introducing Bluehost Cloud, ultra-fast WordPress hosting with 100% uptime. Want a website with unmatched power, speed, and control? Of course you do. And now you can have all three with Bluehost Cloud, the new web hosting plan from Bluehost. With 100% uptime and incredibly speedy load times, your WordPress websites will be dependable and lightning fast on a global scale. Plus, your sites can handle even the biggest traffic spikes without going down or lagging. And with Bluehost Cloud, you get 24-7 WordPress priority support, meaning you're connected to WordPress experts anytime you need them. Not to mention, you automatically get daily backups and world-class security. So, what are you waiting for? Get Bluehost Cloud today by visiting bluehost.com. That's bluehost.com. Hello. <laughs> hello. I don't know how else to say hello now. <laughs> I know. That's just kind of your signature. Yeah. I'm Emma. I'm Cass. This is Honey Do Me Podcast. Welcome. We talk about sex. We sure do. And everything from A to Z that interferes with it <laughs> or <laughs> makes it better, makes it worse. Mm-hmm. Um, and today we're talking about things that can kind of make it worse. And that thing is me. And that thing. It's Taylor Swift's <laughs> line exactly. It's me. Hey. It's me. I'm the problem. Um, We're talking about being toxic, which I never thought I'd use to describe myself. I don't, I mean, this, we talk about being Mm anti-relational and dysfunctional. And the truth is we get to the point where we're not the problem. The system is the problem. So I'll say that now. We're not about (laughs) to shit talk ourselves, um, but also... I'm the problem. I don't know what else to say. We really thought this was going to be a different episode. We were like, let's just do this fun, light episode where we talk about all the shitty little toxic things Like when I look at his like Instagram followers. Mm -hmm. Exactly. I kind of maybe sometimes accidentally go through his phone. You know, the things when you're trying to make yourself mad or like give yourself something to fight about, like those kinds of things. Not what we did. We took a left turn on that idea. Yeah. Well, I mean, the real question is when we're talking to experts is why mm-hmm. the fuck do I do that? Mm-hmm. You know, it's not, oh, isn't this funny? It's why do I do that? And why am I feeling like I need to be a little bit dysfunctional right now? And we asked that question <laughs> and I'm going to let you know we get some answers. We get some answers. It's like they plucked examples from our relationships they really hit it head on we talk about like processing time I don't know if we've talked about it much on the podcast but we talk about it a lot to each other how Mm -hmm. our partners tend to have a longer processing time and we're very quick we're like let's deal with it Mm -hmm. I thought that made me better I know we talk about feeling better than your partner because Mm -hmm. of things that you feel like give you a leg up in your Mm -hmm. relationship but like do they yeah. Are you fucking happy? Ooh. That's a big question. That's a hard question. That's a hard question. Yeah. Um, so who are they that we keep referring to? We are talking to M and Jen of Shrink Chicks. They are licensed marriage family therapists, sex therapists. They are the bomb. <laughs> I don't know. Like they are not only do I mean that in terms of like they are amazing. I also mean it as like they set off a bomb in my, <laughs> in my soul. belief system. Right. <laughs> yes. Yeah. 
Um, they their whole thing is that they want to be authentic, straight to the point, hit you where it hurts type of therapist. Mm-hmm. Boy, do they. Oh. So if you're looking for some honest to God fucking truth about your behavior, mm-hmm. you found the right episode. And they do it in the sweetest way, though. It literally I mean, sounds yeah. like a meditation when you're listening to mm-hmm. them, but they're also like digging into your <laughs> deepest, darkest pieces of yourself. And it's you'll come like, out different. Fuck. Oh, did did we come did out? Did we come different? out different? <laughs> Which you'll hear. So enjoy. See you on the other side of that. You'll be okay, I promise. Yeah. Bye. Bye. First of all, thank you for having us today. Um, My name is, you're going to hear Jenna's bio, and they sound exactly the same, and we're explaining why that is. Um, My name is Emily Beerley. Um, I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist, um, a sex therapist, and I co-own the therapy group with locations all over the United States and co-host the Shrink Chicks podcast. And my name is Jennifer Chaikin, <laughs> and I'm a licensed marriage family therapist, sex therapist. I co-own the therapy group. We just opened a new location in Philadelphia. Um, and I'm a co-host of the Shrink Chicks podcast. We have the same bio. That's kind of my goal, though, with Cass. We would love to have our same mm-hmm. bio, same title, same house, ideally, yeah. one day. Oh. It would be great. Yeah. Just to we'll do everything it. together. And that yes, we'll get we're there. halfway there. Exactly. And that's basically what happened to us. We met in graduate school, both becoming a marriage and family therapist. I looked around and I said, oh, good Lord, I don't know if I'm going to fit in here. And then I saw Jen and I said, she looks cool enough. And I walked up to her and I said, you're going to be my best friend. Um, and that was 12 years ago. And then 10 years ago, almost 10 years ago, we opened up our first location of the therapy group. At the time, it was called the Westchester Therapy Group. And now it's the therapy group. We have locations all over. Um, and we've been running a business together and talking about therapy and our love for therapy and our love for honesty and directness with all of our clients, which Willie has worked to turn into something really cool. That's the cutest friendship story and most badass friendship story yeah. ever. Yeah. I love it. It was amazing. Emily ran right up to me and I said, okay, I don't have a choice in this, but it's the best thing that ever happened to me. <laughs> That's it kind so of mirrors sweet. you and I, Cass. We met in school. Yeah. I thought I was cool. <laughs> yeah. We met in a sex class. Yeah. Like a sex education class. Yeah. Um, yeah. And we bonded over uh, the weird things in the textbook, yeah. like the little side yeah. things that were in the textbook, like saltine right. crackers um, yes. being used to curb erections, I think, yeah. was what mm-hmm. really got really us Really interesting stuff. Yeah. It's funny. So one of the things that um, – so Jen and I – went to grad school of licensed marriage therapy. We specifically were at the school because they had this sex therapy specialization. And something you do when you're going to school to become a sex therapist is do something called a SAR, which is a sexual um, attitude reassessment, where you sit in your classroom and you watch eight hours of porn um, with your teachers and classmates. And you have to do this every year you're there. And then you have to do it when you're getting your certification to become a sex therapist. Um, And so... (laughs) And you talk about like what the feelings that come up for you, you process through, right? So they're really, you know, we'll have clients that come in and they'll say, oh, I don't know if this is too much information. And we're always like, "Mm, there is no such thing. (laughs) Like that, nothing shocks us. Tell us anything. So it was strictly Mm -hmm. just to get like to evoke your emotions and talk about how sex makes you feel watching sex it's, and yeah and what triggers you right like i know that we use this word as a joke but the reality is is like we all sit here and we're like i want to be sex positive but like 
it's also like okay if that's not where you're at right now like it's also okay if you're like like especially if like if you grew up in purity culture you grew up in some situation where you you struggled with being on the same page with your body of struggling with feeling comfortable naked struggling with intimate struggling with giving up any control sometimes you're like i want i want to love sex and i want to do this and also that's not where i'm at right now so basically is to gauge your bias on all subjects so like every possible end of the spectrum of what different sexual like sexual thing you could see that's what you sit and you watch over and over again so that you can say like all right here are some triggers for me that i need to figure out look wow. into immersion therapy yes yeah <laughs> right that makes a lot of sense though like that's a really quick mm-hmm. way to realize what inside of you reacts to different like sex things yep absolutely and it, right and that was the case with all of grad school is like the goal was to really figure out what was coming up for you to work through what was coming up for you so that you're not that's not coming up in your sessions mm-hmm. with your clients right um and we always say grad school was the greatest most expensive therapy <laughs> we could have possibly gotten for ourselves but um it was really incredible like we just did everyone did a lot of I, I don't know about everyone but we did a lot of transformational i think work there in order to not bring it into your sessions with your clients. That's incredible. That is so interesting. I feel like we could talk about what, how you learn to do what you do for (laughs) so long. It's just so fascinating. Well, we love your guys's approach. Like you were saying, you're just kind of straightforward, you know, to the point when you talk about these subjects and that's kind of how we want to approach today's topic because you have to kind of own your shit to talk about what we want to discuss, which is being toxic and not in the like abusive way, but just in the petty, you know, those type of petty little arguments, the manipulative things that you kind of do. So what is being toxic? What does that mean? Well, I think according to Instagram, it means any time I don't like what somebody else does. <laughs> so that's not what we mean. When we talk about something having, we're going to use like the term dysfunctional, right? Like I'm going to say like it's going to be anti-relational and dysfunctional, meaning I'm involved in some type of, let's say Jen and I are in a relationship. And... um we go back and forth with the same ongoing sort of cycle. And one of those is um, I put myself out there for her. She misses a little bit. And then I feel so rejected and abandoned. I push her away so far. She doesn't even have a shot. Right. So is that a toxic trait or is that anti-relational trait? Right. Is that going to hurt and make it difficult to my relationships? And so when we talk about the IG term of toxic, it is someone who is not doing enough work on themselves, someone who is reactive and you use the word petty or reactive um, or having large emotional reactions and also not having enough. um, One of the most important things is to have that self-awareness and then have um, do the accountability. One of the most important things we can do in relationships is radical personal accountability. And, you know, we work with a ton of couples and when you work with couples, you know, you can recognize that they get stuck in this cycle of uh, blaming the other person. And when they play the blame game, what happens is nothing gets done in therapy, Mm -hmm. right? We, as therapists, we're not there to say, oh, you're right. They did something wrong, right? We're, We're there to help you understand where your reactivity is coming from. 
Because in the end, there's some sort of wound that is coming up for you. Like in the example that Emily gave, she's feeling rejected. She's feeling abandoned. The way in which she learned to react to that is to push me away farther as opposed to be a- being able to express that to me. Hey, I was feeling really um, abandoned or I was feeling really rejected in that moment. Um, because that's an example of instead of pushing away, being able to turn towards your partner and bring them closer. So a lot of the times what we see is more so the reaction and not the emotion underneath the reaction, not the pain underneath the reaction that might be triggering that reaction. And so um, when we talk about this like anti-relational, we're talking about in the sense of we're you know, reacting to someone else, blaming them for why we're, we are reacting. Um, it's your fault that I reacted that way. Um, as opposed to saying, well, what was going on with me? What was coming up for me? What was the pain that was, uh, and what was the wound that was opened up in that moment? So really being able to, as Emily said, be self-aware and dig deep and say, where's that coming from for me? The thing that stuck with me from what you both just said is the anti-relational. So I feel like one of my questions was what, what can you recognize as being like, I don't know, toxic is what we're saying, but like, and what is just my feelings? What are just who I am in that moment and not making everything be like, this is my toxic trait. It's like, no, these are my feelings. You know, like this is just how I feel in a relationship in this moment. Um, So are we, are we, should we be reframing things to be like, oh, this is a reaction. This is like an anti-relational reaction. So there's a huge difference between an emotion that comes up and then a reaction to that emotion. And a lot of the times we we say that they're one, right? Um, and so I think what you're speaking to is really the reaction to the emotion. So the emotion is there. It is valid. It is okay for you to feel that. There might be wounds that come up from the past that are triggered in the present. And by might, I mean, that's they're probably mm-hmm. going to come up, right? This All of this, have, this happens. We are human. Um, and so it's, it's not about the emotion coming up. It is okay to have that emotion. It's about what you do with the emotion. It's about how you nurture yourself through that emotion and the ways in which you're able to express it. The the problem, the thing that we struggle with is that we don't create enough space between the emotion coming up and then the reaction to the emotion coming up. And we feel like they're just one. There's a difference. It's funny because I can say to Jen, I can say I'm really angry at you, right? I can feel an emotion and then I can be an emotion, right? So if I say to Jen, I'm really pissed right now. I need to take some time to process. It's really different than saying, I'm going to lose my fucking <laughs> shit if you don't get it together. Yeah. That's that feels being anger and yeah. rage, feeling anger and rage, right? And the reality is, is that often, especially if we grew up in a home that discounted our feelings or told us that we were highly sensitive, told us to keep it together, told us the feelings and emotion, any like sort of language you got in childhood, that can make it that you actually learn to embody emotions as opposed to feel emotions because they just erupt like a volcano. And so if you're getting involved in this, if you feel like, here's the reality. The reason Jen and I went into this field is because both of us had really negative experiences in therapy. We have different journeys of how we ended up in therapy in the first place. But one of mine is that like, I've, I I w- always was the toxic person. 
Like when people talk about like, oh, get rid of, I'm like, yeah, that would have been me. Like if we had like this Instagram language around like cutting off texting people, like I'd be like, I had would have nobody <laughs> specifically in high school through college because I was out of my effing mind with an eating disorder. I struggled with anxiety and depression. I did not have language. I was highly parentified of a child. A, B, and C, one million list of why. But the reality is, is what's working for you, right? In that toxic behavior. There's a reason that you keep doing it. It gives you safety. It gives you security. It feels like it um, a false sense of power. Whatever those reasons are, they may have worked for some time, but at some point we then have to retire them because they just keep people away as opposed to bringing them in. What a beautiful way to describe all of these complex emotions and reactions. <laughs> I f- it feels so like resonating right now. Yeah. Can you guys give some examples maybe that you see of common ways that we react or are toxic and maybe even ways like ways that we are toxic that we might not even realize are anti-relational or Mm -hmm. not our best selves? So the first thing that comes up for me that I hear a lot is like when you're fighting with your partner and you need to solve the fight immediately right? In order to deal with your own anxiety. And your partner might not. Yeah, right? Like, it's, it's so common. And yeah. And your partner might not be in the place to be able to work through that. So when you're in a relationship, you both have to be in the place to be able to work through that. And instead of saying, okay, I realize my partner is not in, in the place to be able to manage this right now. So I am going to have to sit with my own emotions, sit with my own anxiety and be able to like nurture myself through that. We tend to go to our partner and say, you need to solve this for me right now. You need to take my anxiety away right now. We need to fix this so that I feel better. And I'm saying that once again, not because like this is just so common, right? We all do this in different ways. I know you you guys are shaking your heads. Like I've done this before (laughs) too. Um, but, but I would say that's what, that's one piece is that we look to our partner, um, to make us feel better. I didn't mean from my relationship. Um, <laughs> yeah, I'm just kidding. I just didn't mean an exact <laughs> really, like pluck my relationship right from my soul. But thank you for doing so. Yeah, oh my God. Um, You're I mean, I've always known, or not always. Most recently, I've tried to work on that exact habit with the partner I'm currently with because he just processes slower, and my anti-relational trait was that I'm better than you (laughs) because I can do it faster. And I say that's with love, but that's just how it feels on the inside. It's like, oh, well, I can process this faster. Can't wait for you to catch up, you know? And I know that's Mm -hmm. not fair. Oh, Emma, you and I, (laughs) you and I are kindred souls, just so you know. (laughs) My processing time is unbelievable. My partner's is not, and it's overwhelming to him how fast mine is, and his is paralyzing to me by how slow it is. I get mad at him. He gets frustrated with me, right? And part of that is I get into, when I get activated in that, I get into what is deemed as um, unbridled self-expression, where I talk and talk and talk, because I think that, like, you're going to hear me, or you're going to do something, right? And, like, part of this is, like, a childhood of, like, really not being heard the way you needed to. Um, Part of it's ADHD, part of it's being um, a woman who runs a business and has a child and a whole bunch of other stuff, but also a lot of it is simply personality traits. And I've done the same thing in my relationship, which is 
I'm better catch up Mm -hmm. to me. And the difference is as opposed to, first of all, just because we live in a society that's obsessed with quick pace does not mean I'm better. And why don't I slow down for you? Why is it always about you coming to me, right? For us to like look at it. And I think it's also how we we have to talk about it in terms of like some ways like detaching from the ego involved of it of like, okay, one person's fast, one person's slow. How do we compromise in between? Boom. Not me versus you. Here is our relational traits and how do you work those together? But it's funny because, uh, yeah, I thought, Jen, th- for the record, I totally thought the one you were going to choose yeah. um, was like not having a reaction. I think a lot of times we think, oh, well, she didn't react, so she has it more together. But one of the traits I really see people do um, that can be considered toxic is not having a reaction to their partner. And when I say partner, I don't even just mean romantic. I mean, you know, work colleague, anything like that, anyone in a relationship in the system where I don't react to you and then I go talk about it to everyone else. But I kept my calm with you, so I won. I didn't react, I didn't do anything, but actually I've just then taken the anxiety that I shoved down in that interaction and I've now put it to all these other conversations and I hope my friends are gonna help me calm and heal and do these other things as opposed to in that moment, even if I did it imperfectly, I said something. There was this perfectionistic idea, but there's a right way to communicate or a right way to do this. Mm-hmm. It's one of the things I hate when people are like, don't do shit over text. Well, I don't care if you're more emotionally regulated over text, do right. it over text. I, I, like that doesn't matter, right? Like there's no perfect way to do relationships. You show up, you bring honesty and you bring accountability. But we, but we, that has to be from both sides, not I take on everything or you take on everything. Right. Those are hitting. <laughs> mm-hmm. I think, and I think, <laughs> and I think people think about the, you know, on the other end of it, the person who maybe shuts down in those moments or isn't having a reaction. The assessment from an outside perspective is like they don't care or they're not, right, that it's easy for the person who is more outwardly reactive to think, oh, this person doesn't care about me. They're not having a reaction. They're not processing it. They're they're not thinking about this. But shutting down is also a reaction. It's also coming from a sense of anxiety, a sense of there's a lot going on for them too. And so, but people look at the person who is having this outward reaction as like they're the reactive one. But the other, the person on the other other end of it, the one who's shutting down, that's also a reaction to emotion that they're feeling. Mm. But but it's not as like socially recognized as, right. oh, they're having some sort of reaction. It's, oh, they have it all together. They're calm. Mm. They might be shutting down from the amount of anxiety and how overwhelmed they're feeling. Right. Mm-hmm. Ooh, those are wonderful yeah. examples. Wonderfully personal, <laughs> deep examples. <laughs> yeah. And wow. another one that I'm I'm thinking of, and I know we're not even at the part where we're going to talk about our own examples, but I'm going to. Mother's Day is around the corner, and whether you're celebrating your mama, grandma, guardian, or yourself, celebrate with the mother of all self-care routines by trying out Osea's Mega Moisture Duo. This duo delivers a one-two punch in luxurious body care moisturizers with their Anduria Algae Body Oil and Anduria Collagen Body Lotion, both featuring Osea's signature all-natural citrusy scent. I use both the body lotion and the Anduria Algae Body Oil once I get out of the shower, and I use it literally everywhere. This duo is my go-to for feeling glowy and hydrated for literal days, and the Osea signature scent is one of my faves because it's not overwhelming, um, but it's like a delicious and fresh smell that just lasts. 
Since 1996, Osea has been making seaweed-infused skincare that is vegan, cruelty-free, and climate-neutral certified, so you never have to choose between your values and your best skin. Treat mom to the everyday spa experience she deserves with clean, vegan skin and body care from Osea. Get 10% off your first order site-wide with code DOOMY at oseamalibu.com. You'll get free samples with every order and free shipping on orders over $60. Head to oseamalibu.com and use code DEWME for 10% off. Um, Is that in my last relationship, I feel like we would both play this game of, okay, I'm done. And like wanting to elicit that reaction of like the other person chasing them because it's like, oh no, come back. And then if they didn't, it was like an explosion of, well, why didn't you come back when I just said I was done, you know? And I feel like I used to play that game of, and now I'm exhausted and I don't have the energy to play that game, but that was one of my go-tos as well. Mm. Well, we, a great rule of thumb is no exit language unless I'm actually ready to pack a bag. If you are not ready to hand back the key, to pack the bag, to never talk to them again, you do not use exit language. Mm-hmm. We use it because it gives us a false sense of safety. Mm-hmm. It's like having control. It's People think it's messed up. It's the same idea of like, well, I can always jump in front of a car. Well, the reason people will have suicide ideation in the back of their mind is also for a false sense of control. I could do the last thing. Same thing with exit language. I, if I feel like I have the control, if I'm like, well, I'm done, and then you chase me or you don't chase me, either way, I got to not be hurt. I got to save myself. Let's just be hurt. Let's be really, really okay with being hurt because every relationship is a risk. And I would rather that people take a ton of risks than stay really, really safe and don't receive the love they truly deserve and desire. Yeah. And and I think there's a a fear of vulnerability in those moments. Like what we really want to know is like, do you care about me enough to stay? And so we don't say, hey, I really want to feel cared about in these moments, right? When in the midst of a fight, it's hard to slow yourself down and say, hey, I know we've been fighting. Like, I don't feel cared about by you. And that's really hard for me. And I feel really hurt. We say, well, fuck you. I'm out. And try to see if they're going (laughs) to follow me. Right. And so, but what's underneath that is there's a real fear around, does this person really care about me? Are we going to be able to make this work? Like this is really terrifying. And so what we do is we we say all these things to protect ourselves from being really vulnerable because being vulnerable is really terrifying, especially when you're in the midst of a fight. And so something we talk to couples a lot about is talking about the process of your arguments outside of the argument. Oh, I like that. So because we tend to talk about it when, they're, when we're activated, mm-hmm. when we're heightened, mm-hmm. and we don't talk about it when you're outside of the argument, when you're – and saying things like, hey, I recognize that like when I'm really upset or when I don't feel cared about that I tend to say I'm leaving as opposed to saying, hey, I don't feel cared about right now. Like I recognize that I do that. And in our next argument, I'm going to try to ground myself. I'm going to try to nurture myself through whatever I'm feeling so that I'm able to really be vulnerable with you and say this. And we often say to our couples too – you know, it's okay to take a time out. If you realize that your fights are going into a place that are going to be harmful for your relationship, it's okay to come up with some sort of like safe word of like, we need a time out right now because this is at a point you're not hearing each other. 
nothing's happening, right? Like you could keep fighting. Neither of you are going to hear each other. It, it Sometimes it just takes some time apart in order to regulate your own emotions and come back together and have the conversation again. And take the personal responsibility on that one. I would say I need a timeout. I am not slowing down. I am coming after you. I can see that you're shut down. I have to go put myself in timeout. <laughs> Right? Because that also feels better than someone else be like telling you to yeah, do it. Like, right? you like, need a timeout. That's exactly, not going right? to happen. Yeah. Right? So take the, take the win, take the <laughs> W on that one and be like, oh, I get to be the bigger person. You know, like there's certain stuff that Beth's like, oh, I did, I did good today, right? Like, I want to walk out of my relationship and be like, you want to know what? No matter what you did, I did really good in my own personal accountability mm-hmm. today. And part of that is like this ability to sit here and to say, what I'm doing is not helpful. I'm mad at you. I don't like what you're doing. And also, I know what I'm doing is not helpful. And that is for across the board. Like, this is not just for romantic relationships. In any type of dynamic, what is my part in it? Am I making this better or worse? That's a good question to (laughs) ask. (laughs) It's a very good question. The version of that that I tend to do in my current relationship, I just got married this last summer, um, is I will leave the room mid fight go to another room and then wait for him to come get me and when he Mm -hmm. doesn't because his processing time is different than mine he's more of a shutdown I'm more of a react very openly um Mm -hmm. each minute that he doesn't come to get me I get angrier at him and it's like it's not the best cycle so do those same ideas apply to that kind of situation so I would come up what we like is something um I won't take the credit for this this is something my couples therapist always says is we're gonna blame the system not the people so the system of the fight doesn't work not the people don't work the system of our fight. So the cool thing about that is we have to get a new system. So maybe what that means is you know that you need to go in timeout. What you know is the unhelpful part. It's not your calm down. It's what you're looking for him to do. So instead we say, I'm going to go put myself in timeout. In 20 minutes, I'm going to ask you to text me and check in with me. Put a timer on. And then in 20 minutes, you get a text that says, just checking in with you. How you doing? He has low stakes, or they have low stakes. I'm so sorry. Um, I said he, um, so yeah. Okay, I thought, but then I wasn't sure. (laughs) Um, He has low stakes because he's not walking into the lion's den. You get to feel like he's checking in with you, and then you get to say, okay, I'm ready to come on out, or I actually, if I'm being honest with myself, I need another 20. And then at the end of that 20, he texts you again to check in. See, that's so logical. That's so, like, healthy. That's so, like, pro-relationship. <laughs> There's a – because logic and emotion are two different languages, right? Mm-hmm. What Jen talked about is when I'm not activated is when we have to practice coping skills. This is on an individual level, too. I can sit here and be like, I know how to box breathe and I do my deep breaths. But if I only do them during the panic attack, I'm not going to remember how to do it very well. Mm-hmm. So skills need to be practiced on the times that we're connected, the times where we are personally and relationally regulated, and then we can use them in the moment. So you're right. It's logical because I'm not highly emotional yeah. at the time. I have one more layer to add to it. Yes. And I yes. hope that people can relate to this. <laughs> it's okay. Um, I have one too that I'm like, I really hope I'm not alone. So <laughs> I expect definitely <laughs> not. To know that he should text me after 20 minutes without me saying he should text oh, me yes. after 20 yes. minutes. So <laughs> first let us you. say, yes, you are not alone. <laughs> but your partner, no matter how long you are with them, is not a Don't mind reader. Say that. 
it. I know. I know that's painful to hear. I know. And for everyone listening who also, this also read, of course we want our partners to be mind readers. There's something about it that we're like, if they loved me enough, they would know. Right? But in the end, they can love you and still not be a mind reader. (laughs) Well, and also, because then also the alternate has to be true, that if you love them enough, you would stop, right? You would slow down for them. So let's take that pressure away because that's also a setup for failure as opposed to saying, you know what? Neither of us have done this before. I've never been married to you before. You've never been married to me before. It doesn't matter how long we've been together, right? I've been with my partner for 12 years. <laughs> Spent a lot of money on couples therapy. I mean, you know, this is my job and I don't know what we're doing here. So, right? Like it's, there's nothing wrong with that as opposed to like, it is in some ways having like what we call an ego death of like the ability to say, I don't know what I'm doing. You don't know what you're doing. Let's act like we're kids learning. And if I was to give you the benefits out, if, we, if I was going to treat us at the relational age of one developmentally, don't I get some more directions? If I think mm-hmm. about my relationship in terms of developmental years, right, how much do we really need to give our partner with teaching a ton educationally? We're not taught this information. But don't worry. You know the fucking Pythagorean theorem. <laughs> and there's no and nothing makes sense, right? But, like, you're not going like, to marry do, that. Do we know no, the Pythagorean I theorem? No. I cheated my entire way through that right. class. No, yeah, I, yeah, like, I have no <laughs> idea what's going on there. I only graduated high school from cheating. <laughs> so, <laughs> but I'm really good with people and relationships. I just don't have those other skills. But which are the skills that actually impact happiness? Relational success. Right. And no one taught us this. The greatest Mm -hmm. predictor of happiness is relational success. Relational joy. So if that's the greatest predictor of how I'm going to have a good life, I'm going to make it foolproof of how to do that. I'm going to walk out to my husband. I'm going to tell him exactly what I need. I'm going to walk away because I'm being fucking nuts. You're going to text me in 20 minutes. Put a timer on your phone. Don't forget because at 20 minutes, I'm going to be looking and I'm going to be slightly freaked out if I'm still activated. (laughs) and I need you to text me I love you checking in the exact words you have to you do you have to teach your partner how to respond to you because also it's different forever right so like let's say you had a hard day and you come home and you need to cry and what do you need in those moments from your partner do you need a hug do you need them just to sit with you everyone is different in terms of what they need our partners might have no idea how to handle that especially if they grew up in an environment where yeah, emotions cis hit men exactly where emotions were not accepted crying was not allowed you know and so when they see their partner cry they might have a reaction. I have. I need to fix this. If I don't fix this, it's something about me. And the fixing often pushes us farther away. That's not what I need in those moments. I need you to just sit with me, listen to me. You don't have to fix anything. So, But we have to t- teach our partners that. We have to let them know this is what I need in those moments. Their inability to know that does not mean that they don't love you. It doesn't mean that they don't care about you. And also, we might have to teach them a bunch of times. We might have to remind them. In the, I will remind my partner when I am upset about something. I don't need you to give me advice. I just need you to sit with me. I just need you to hug me. It's okay for me to be crying right now. I'm just struggling. I will get through this. I always get through this. It's okay. You have to teach them in those moments 
what you need. But I think that also first starts with you knowing what you need. And sometimes we don't even know what we need in those moments because we're so focused on, well, my part, I need my partner to do this for me, or I need them to do this in order for me to feel better. And so that's what I think can be really helpful is when you are taking that time out, when you're sitting with yourself, instead of focusing on, well, why haven't they come in yet? Or like, what can they do? What can I do for myself right now to regulate my own emotions? Because in the end, that is what you have control over. You have control over what you communicate to them to say, listen, in 20 minutes, can you text me? That'll be really helpful for me. Relationally, that'll really help us. Um, and also, what can I do in these moments to help regulate my own emotions? Mm. What will be really helpful for me? That is what you have control of. You don't have control over your, whether your partner is going to read your mind or not. When we work when we work with couples, one of the things we say is we have you in the room, you in the room, but the client in the room is your marriage, is your relationship. That's who my main client is. My job is to look at your relationship, not necessarily just you as individuals. I'm going to take that into account. But the number one person I'm looking out for in this room is that relationship between the two of you. This one example is is hitting the hardest for me because I feel like that is mm-hmm. a lot of where my like butting heads with my partner comes from. He's like, well, I can't read your mind. And I'm like, but we've been together for four weeks. You should, <laughs> you know, <laughs> so <weeks>. it's like... <laughs> And he's like, there's just no way. I was like, but I've told you once three weeks ago what I need. (laughs) And it's hard for me because I am someone that I feel like thinks so much. And I try to remember and I try to accommodate. At least I think I try to accommodate. And so it's hard for me when I feel like other people aren't remembering, and especially my partner, or aren't immediately good at what I told them to do a month ago. Um, But all of this makes so much sense and... It's like, of course, of course you should have to like explain how you're feeling in these moments and assume that your partner can't read your mind because honestly, these moments could come up at different points in the day or different points in the month and I will need something different and then I will get mad if it's they're not giving me what I needed. They're like, but at this worked the last six times and it's like, I, it, it yep, yep. <laughs> yeah. What I just realized from all of this is that I have a belief that asking for what I need in the moment, telling them what I need in the moment somehow invalidates Mm. like the authenticity of that need being met, because then it means they don't actually know what I need. I'm just feeding them a script. So why wouldn't I just be there for myself? And that starts to feel like, is this even like a good relationship? Is this even what I want? Mm -hmm. Yes, exactly. And I guess that you would ask, right, and that's the reality. So remember that our initial relationships were with our caregivers. And if they were good caregivers, they were able to um, be in tune with us enough to know what we need. So actually, from a really, really young age, you're trained for people to just know um, what to do for you. You scream in one language, bah, was your baby. And we're like, ah, that's what that scream means. I know exactly, right? Like, people are intuitive, Right. And so that's your initial relationship in your life. If you had good parents that were in two, not all of us do. Right. So we have this idea that that should continue throughout. We have this idea because we had these caregivers that looked out for us or took command in some way. But really, the best thing we can do 
even as parents, is to help those kids learn how to one say it from themselves of what they need so that they can then go be adults that continue to do that. And think about it. Growing up, you probably made a holiday list of what you wanted for Christmas or Hanukkah, and you nobody was like, oh, well, because I put it on the list, it doesn't mean as much that I got my uh, Susie cookware set. <laughs> No, you're like, fuck yeah, man, I asked for this thing and I got it. That was awesome. And so, like, let's take that same vibe into adult relationships. Like, whoa, I asked for exactly what I need. I got exactly what I need. How cool. Oh. How cool. Mm-hmm. And, and I – the mindset. I think that there's also a huge fear of, okay, if I ask for what I need and I don't get it, it's going to be even more painful because then it turns into rejection, then it turns into. And so there's a level of vulnerability in asking for what you need. There's a level of risk there. But vulnerability is risky, but it's also really important in order to feel true connection and intimacy in your relationship. And so it's so much safer and protective for us to just be like, just know what I need, right? Like I told you three weeks ago, like you should just know. <laughs> but um, but they're human beings, right? They're human beings. They're also, you know, struggling with their own stuff going. They have a lot on their mind. And so the more tools that you give them to give to you, the closer you are going to be able to be in your relationship, the more they're going to know and understand you. And that's really a lot of what we're looking for. We want to be heard. We want to be understood in our relationship. But it's really scary to put ourselves out there because there's the risk of, well, what if I put myself out there and they don't hear me? What if I say I really need you to come give me a hug and they say no? Ask yourself this. Which is the most relational, healthy, non-toxic thing? I come home and I say to my partner, I fucking can't look at this place. Everything's a mess. I asked you to do those dishes. You never fucking listen to me. I'm exhausted from everything. Or I come home and I say, I had the worst day ever. I'm going to sit on the couch and cry. And can you sit next to me and feed me popcorn? <laughs> okay. <laughs> <Feed me> one. Which <laughs> is what I would want. I don't know. <laughs> right? So one of those was asking for exactly what I need. But in a non-demanding, generous, compassionate way. One was demanding and actually not even getting my needs met if my partner then does tidy up all the dishes i still feel lonely and dysregulated and a mess and we just happen to have clean dishes it didn't do anything so which one long term actually gets your needs met that we're sure it's not the first one we're sold on that listen the way i know is is that i've tried i have done the legwork for everyone in my marriage Uh, i can tell you how to do it the wrong way (laughs) I'm wondering if we can actually flip this a little bit as well. I will speak for myself. I think Emma and I both relate on this, but I won't speak for you. Um, Sometimes I think I am a mind reader and I do know exactly what my partner needs and I don't need to learn anything because I'm perfect and I know how to do this. I'm perfect Mm -hmm. in this way. How do I let that go and let him teach me how to be there for him as well? Mm. Well, one I want to say is, what was it like growing up uh, um, parentified and having to be in tune with other people's feelings? <laughs> what do you mean? <laughs> what do you mean? I feel like you're hitting a lot of nails on the head. You should be a therapist. <laughs> you probably felt like an adult from a very early age. Yes, you did. <laughs> and here's the deal. You're actually part of this is not wrong. What you just said is probably not wrong. You probably are much more intuitive 
than your partner. You probably do know in some ways. Congratulations. You get to give yourself a pat on the back. You're probably right. <laughs> and who cares? You get to be right or you get to be happy. Ugh. Usually not both. Listen, and also, <laughs> let us just say we're both therapists in relationships <laughs> with non-therapists. So you better believe we have that feeling and thought constantly. With cis heterosexual men. Yeah. Um, so-, <laughs> so we get it. <laughs> and so this part is I don't – you're probably not wrong. So you get to like sort of have that part. And is it really helpful to share it all? If you do say yourself, right, like is it actually – if we think about before I'm going to say something, right, what do we say? Is it true? Is it helpful? Is it kind? What does it actually do? congratulations, you get to be the better one. But where does that get you? Because it sure doesn't get your needs met. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no, it actually ends up incredibly lonely with a lot of pressure. Mm-hmm. And so the thing that I would do is by is by giving yourself the gift of not knowing everything, give yourself the gift of like, I guess I have to get on the fucked up train because we're all on that. Mm-hmm. Then I give myself permission to actually just be human. And when I can sit in my own discomfort within myself, I can also sit in my part, in my partners. So then are you asking like, how, what does that look like to take the chair of, okay, maybe I don't know. Are you asking what you absolutely, yeah. you can Ask. say, what do you need right now? Do you need space? Do you, are are you hungry? <laughs> right? Like, mm-hmm. you know, what is it that you need right now? And the you know, the thing that we keep mentioning is that they might also not have a sense of what they need and they might need time to figure it out. But once you start asking the question, it also allows them to start thinking about it. Because if they grew up in an environment where they were never asked what they needed or they were like, figure this out on your own, to have a partner who's saying, what do you need right now might be very different for them. So a lot of this too, a lot of what we talk about is patience in this. This takes time and it is okay to be patient and important to be patient with yourself and be patient with your partner. And that doesn't even just go for marriage. Like the thing we want to talk about is also like these are skills that are important for us to have in life, whether this current relationship works out or not. So don't do it for the other person. Do it for you. Do it for so that you can have more successful parts of every different type of relationship that you have. And that is okay to sit here and say, and I love what Jen talked about, which is like, it's also showing it's modeling to them. Here's how you ask someone what they need. And it also means that it takes away when you start asking, it also says, I guess I have to put a little bit of this back on your plate. You need to tell me what you need. I don't have to be your mind reader. Because even if you guys are both so skilled at it, which most women are, I don't want them to be. I don't want that to be your job that you're the mind reader. You shouldn't have your job. Right. Your job is to be their partner. Right. And you if you take that on, right? Oh, it's my I need to anticipate all of their needs with before they're able to express it to me. You're taking on another thing in your checklist of I have all this shit I have to remember. Mm -hmm. And now I have to anticipate what my partner needs or what they're how they're feeling or what's going on for them. No, you very much are able to ask, what can I give to you in these moments? How can I help you? How can I help support Mm you? That is exactly how it has felt. And I thought that meant that I was being a good partner by mind reading, being ahead of the game, you know, being like the one that knows it all. But it has felt like so much pressure. And then I get resentful because I'm like, I'm just this better partner 
and I know what you need and that's exhausting for me. Like, but then that doesn't, doesn't solve any of my fucking problems. Like, okay, that's great. I'm still not happy. I'm stressed. And you feel like you're a failure to this relationship. And that's Mm -hmm. so that hit it exactly about how I feel when I just feel I take everything on and assume that that means that I'm putting in the good work when it's just like I'm taking on other people's work. That's not mine. It it just keeps increasing your mental mm-hmm. load. And then that resentment and that resentment kills relationships, mm-hmm. right? Because guess what? It also just turns you into their mom. Yep. No, of course you don't want to fuck your <laughs> child, right? Like, of course, I mean, like, of course, like, I don't want to come home to you and snuggle and be cute with you. Like, I'm too busy, like, interpreting your needs like you're my child. Mm-hmm. So give yourself the ability to not go there and know that it's not always our partners that put us in that place. A lot of times we put ourselves there. A lot of times we were doing it before this partner. That shit we bring into the relationship. They they just showed up here. They brought their own <laughs> shit. <laughs> and the the incredible thing about taking that responsibility to say this is something I'm doing um, is that you get to change it. You have control over right. that. And I think that that, once again, it can be vulnerable. It can be scary to say, I can take responsibility for this, that I'm putting this on myself. But at the same time, then you have complete control over it. You get to take that pressure off of yourself. Mm. And like, what a relief. And that gives back the control of the things that I feel like Cass and I, in our examples at least, that we've been seeking through our anti-relational reactions is the control part. But this could be a healthy Mm -hmm relational <laughs> behavior pro-relational pro-relational yes um i have one more personal example that i'd yes. like to dive into um i love and i it, it's hard to say because it makes me feel like such a little bitch but i love being the victim i feel like in fights mm-hmm. i like to And maybe this comes down to ways that I can kind of manipulate the conversation or manipulate the issue, but I like at the end of it to be the one that got hurt, you know, that needs to be cuddled because you've done this and I'm the victim. I mean, I I can feel how this kind of relates to other things that we've already talked about, but that's a big one for me too. Can, Can I ask you, what do you get? at the end of that? Like, what are you getting from that position? Usually nothing, but I can tell (laughs) what I seek is the, the same behavior that I described earlier with like the exit language is the chasing after and the being like, Mm. okay, yeah, no, don't worry. I'm here. Um, you're right. I'm wrong. I'm here for you. So a secure is it a security in the relationship like a security you feel cared about you know that they're not mm-hmm. going anywhere yep. so and the reason why i ask that is because we tend to look to get those things in ways that end up being antisocial relationship mm-hmm. actions right as opposed to okay how do i get those things through communication how do i get those things through vulnerability and so I always like to look at, you know, we talk about, okay, if you play the, if you, I like the victim role that it's manipulative, but really you're looking for something. Mm -hmm. There's something in that, that you're looking for, you're looking to get out of the relationship, but you don't necessarily know how to get it in other ways. And so the question is, 
how can you look for that or how can you communicate those needs to say, hey, I'm feeling really insecure in our relationship right now. It's really hard for me when we fight. I feel really distant from you and I really want to feel connected. This is really hard for me. Can we talk through this, yeah. right? I want to know that you're not going anywhere. You know, it, it's scary for me when we fight. So getting down to what the vulnerable feelings are and being able to express those is it can be really hard when the safety has been in. I like to be the victim at the end of it because that's what feels safe for me. I would rather I would rather create this wall or this distance with my partner and have them just come to me and say they're sorry or um, as opposed to me once again, asking for what I need in that relationship or asking for what I need or saying that I feel insecure right now, that this is scary for me and that I love you and I want to make sure this works. But when we get in fights, that's really, really hard. Yeah. The thing that um, place I went to was, um, is there fear that you're not worth it for someone to stay in a relationship? That's exactly it. Unless mm-hmm. you have something above Exactly. Because what I was thinking when you were explaining yeah. that is that I don't feel like I deserve all of that comfort and like security if we're both maybe to blame in the situation or maybe we both had shit that we contributed that wasn't helpful. And so if I have contributed in some way, I feel like there's no way I could deserve that wraparound of like the safety still at the end of this conversation. Mm-hmm. So the, the thing I would say, I would also say is that like every the reason why we like don't like the idea of like a toxic person is like all of us have toxic parts, all of us have parts that we do shit that we're not proud of. If I asked every person here to put their worst fight with their partner on the front page of a newspaper, who here would be willing to do it? <laughs> Ew. Mm-mm. sure as shit not me <laughs> if you were like oh emily you're gonna talk about relationships for a living but we're also gonna put a hidden camera in your house for the worst time you've ever been i'd be like no one will ever will hire me <laughs> right because we all have these parts to ourselves. when we are deregulated when we are dysregulated when we are activated we go into what's the adaptive child what we have figured out ways of holding people close to us that doesn't make you bad and it definitely does not make you worthy of love. You were worthy simply because you were born on this earth. That's it. And so for us to be able to say, even my bad parts can be loved. Even my toxic traits can be welcomed. That's worth. Right? Let your partner see that of you. And if you have a partner who throws it in your face, you also have to think about that too, Right? Can my partner truly accept the worst parts of me? Because we all have them. They're not these horrible, evil things. They're parts of us that if we keep them in the shadows and keep them darker, they're going to get bigger and worse. And I, I really believe that that starts with being able to accept those parts of yourself too. It all starts with you. The better your relationship is with yourself, the better your relationship is going to be with others. The more worthy you feel of love, the more you're going to be able to communicate that in your relationship. How do you start accepting those parts of yourself? Well, I would say, what are the parts that you don't want to accept? So first I would, I first I would just see them. Hmm. What's the part of myself I'm really embarrassed about? So like if I wrote my top three, like I'm most embarrassed moments, 
the top three, if I think about, you know, when you like have that intrusive thought of that really embarrassing thing that you did, like, uh, um, and you're, yeah, that, yeah, that, that like thing, TikTok, TikTok trend. Yeah. <laughs> okay, that, so make a li- <laughs> that, make a list of those. Make a list of those and say, what are so bad about those? They hurt someone else. Okay, yeah, that stinks. They were mean to someone else. They isolated someone else. They um, were totally unhinged. They were like, right? Like even if you ever had a fight with someone in your head, you're fighting with your partner in your head. You're like, why am I doing this right now? Those parts, right? So let's meet them and then say what was just like the way Jen described, what was working about them? Why did I need to isolate that person? Why did I need to hurt them? Why did I need to send that mean text? Why did I need to gossip, right? Why are the reasons I did these? Because if I can understand that, I can also forgive myself for it. And also, if I can vastly increase my compassion for myself, I'm also way less critical of my partner. We give them more compassion. Because if you find that you're highly critical towards your partner... I have a feeling it's because you're doing it to yourself. And so then sometimes the things that we are screaming at our partner about is actually what we're screaming at ourselves about. And that may have started way earlier than you could imagine. Way before this partner. Yeah. Yeah. So where were you looking for empathy that you didn't get it? Was someone critical of you? growing up when you were forming your ideas about yourself because we tend to internalize that as children we bring them into adulthood and so as you start to unravel that and understand that you can begin to gain more compassion for yourself as a child really understand that those messages that you were getting were not about you they were about caregivers or people in your life who were struggling with their own stuff that you have internalized and brought into adulthood and now continue to be hard on yourself, critical of yourself, feel not worthy. And so those started somewhere. And to be able to understand where they started doesn't change them, but it can help you gain more empathy towards yourself and separate out. That wasn't about me. That was about someone else. I'd say that's a good place to start. You're right. I'd say that was some, uh, it was decent suggestions on your mm-hmm. guys' part. So yeah. That was good. <laughs> no wonder people get so attached to their therapists. My God, I could hang out with you guys for hours. <laughs> oh, that, yeah. I mean, it make when I think of the things that bother me about, like, my partner's reactions or his behaviors – it might be the opposite type of reaction in my own body, but it's the same subject, basically, you know, that I'm yelling at myself for. It's just a different way it's mm. presented in him. Yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yep. if you think, like, how many times I use you language when it should be right. me language, right? Like, and then, and then it also turns into you and me, not us, right? If we're to really think about what's the, if we put the relationship first, Right? What would that look like to be on the same team or the same goal of the relationship working? Or a really peaceful end of a relationship? Because sometimes that's the right thing for both right. people, too. My dog's ready to come in now. Sorry. <laughs> Malone agrees. Yeah. That's Emma's dog. Malone agrees. <laughs> he seconds that. <laughs> Well, that went nowhere that we expected it to. I don't think we hit on a single point that we had written down. And I love that for us. (laughs) 
<laughs> in a whole different mm-hmm. direction. All right. Well, we'll yeah. do it again, and then we can get we to would more. Love to. Yes, please. Yes, please. Because we have a list about about a thousand situations, and <laughs> we not just one of them was my deepest <laughs> issues. So. We just yeah. solely focused on things that we thought of on the spot within this conversation. Yeah. <laughs> That's what it's what happens when you start talking yeah. to therapists. You end up getting way deeper than mm-hmm. expected. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh-huh. I was like, what happens when I turn off my location yeah. for my <laughs> husband? I, like, that's toxic, right? It's like, okay, well, what about your deepest <laughs> yes. childhood issues that you're oh, bringing why in? Why do you turn off the location? Yeah, exactly. What's going what are you on looking there? for when you turn off the location, right? <laughs> and that's the thing is like, so here's like, here's your quick guide. Is who is my behavior harmful towards? What's going to be the outcome of this? And what was I seeking when I looked for it? I like the word seeking. I'm stealing it from you, Emma. (laughs) Right? Like, and if I can sit here and ask myself those questions and then say, is this going to matter in two days? Right now, after I've eaten, after I've had some water, after I've had a good night's sleep, maybe smoked a joint. I don't know. (laughs) But how are you? Is this shit going to matter anymore? And if there's part of it that do, no, it is really important that I talk to him about how um, he talks to me, talks to um, his parents about me. Well, then, hell yeah, go for it. That's important. Make that work. If you're like, you want to know what? After I had a hot bath (laughs) and got to watch some really good TV and had a big glass of water, I I don't think this matters. Then go do that first. Mm -hmm. That's good. (laughs) <laughs> that's good. Yep. That's a really that's a good, good checklist. I need that like written in blood on my wall. <laughs> and that's, yeah. that's and the that's only way I need to be blood. Think yeah. of the timeout. Don't think of the timeout as like I'm in punishment because like I was acting out and I was the toxic one. Think of the timeout of like great. I get to go into my room for 20 minutes. I'm going to take a hot fucking shower. I'm going to put on music that makes me feel really good. I'm going to simply only take care of me for 20 minutes i don't care about this fight i don't care about the other person my only job is to do is to um de-escalate myself that's a beautiful Mm -hmm. gift nurture i used to when we yes when i first started doing that in my relationship it felt like it was because it was always me that had to be in timeout because (laughs) (laughs) my partner just shuts down so like every time i had to do this i was like this is bullshit i just get thrown out and then i was like actually this is a gift Right, it's a gift that I get to go away. He, I'm going to go upstairs to my room by myself. He can stay downstairs and sit within this mess or do whatever. You know, I'm going to go upstairs. I'm going to simply only take care of me. Not like I need to fix this relationship. I need to solve this right now because he's not going to do anything. And then it's a lot easier to go back and have some really creative resolutions when I'm grounded, when they're grounded, and when we're grounded. Yeah. <laughs> That that sounds like it would do it. I after this have to go tell my partner that I'm the problem. <laughs> um, so that's what I no, have you're not to the do. System. The system is right. a problem. The problem. Right. And that's the issue is when you live in late stage capitalism in a fourth wage feminist movement, and we have parts of our country burning down, and everything is chaotic. And there was COVID, and then there wasn't, and then who the hell knows? The thing is, is we were just sort of fucked from the get go. You're not the problem. I'm not the problem. We live in this society. Context enforces all of it. And so if we're to recreate our system, what do we want to do differently? That's a beautiful question. I love um, I love that to wrap up on. So, Ooh, 
I got some decompressing oh, so to much. do. And it's so early for you guys to do yeah, therapy. Yeah, I know it's 7 a.m. therapy. <laughs> this was some early morning therapy Maybe for that's you. what we need. 7 a.m. I really dug deep. Yeah. So. Right? Yeah. Where can our listeners continue connecting with you guys after this episode? So you can find us if you want to listen to our podcast on Shrink Chicks, um, anywhere you find your podcasts. If you want to work with one of one of our wonderful therapists, you can visit us at thetherapygroup.com um, and fill out a contact form. We have therapists in California, New York, Pennsylvania, New Jersey, Delaware, Florida, Massachusetts. Not um, Oregon yet. Not Oregon yet. We but need we'll an Oregon person. We need yeah. an Oregon. We gotta get to us. Please. Too many bears. Too many <laughs> bears over there. Bears in Oregon. People definitely need therapy for those bears. Amen. I do. <laughs> Uh, but that's where you can find us if you want to work with one of our amazing therapists. We are full of uh, therapists who are very down-to-earth, authentic. Um, that's what we base the therapy group off of. Um, but that's about it. Thank you guys so much for having us. We really appreciate it. So I'm going to be honest about something. <laughs> okay. I thought after this interview, so right mm -hmm. after we finished, I actually went to on a trip with mm -hmm. my boyfriend and I thought, hey, I'm a better person now. Look at all the ways that I'm going to be great in this relationship starting now. Yeah. That didn't happen <laughs> immediately. Within okay. minutes, oh, okay. I was like mocking him. Like, not like, oh, you little bitch. But I was like, <laughs> I was like mimicking him to be fucking annoying. And so I feel like this dug up so much that f like I had to like process and yeah. decompress. So your defenses went up. My defenses went up and I was like immediately 14. <laughs> I feel so much better now that I can process yeah. it. But I was so raw after that interview <laughs> that I was just a fucking teenager. Just raw chicken. Yeah. Raw <laughs> chicken rotisserie. It's a raw rotisserie. Yeah. How did you process this with Jurgen? I did. I the second I walked out of the room uh -huh. of the interview, I went to Jurgen and I said, I'm the problem. <laughs> I'm so sorry. And we've had many conversations since this interview wow. about everything that we learned. And I can't stress enough how big of an issue the whole like me wanting him to do a certain thing but not telling him what I need right. and wanting him to know what I need, that has probably been 80% of our fights or right. could have prevented 80% of our fights. And he was so grateful <laughs> when I told him all of that. And he was, you know, when I was like, I'm the problem. And I was kind of joking around. He's like, I don't want you to think like you're responsible for everything. And it's like, no, I know I'm not. I know I'm not. But <laughs> also, yeah, I'm like, I don't hate myself. <laughs> First of all, let's begin with all your issues. I still <laughs> think I'm better. <laughs> Anyways. In any case, I have been causing a lot of the problems. And I also truly believed that him being able to anticipate my needs mm -hmm. was how you show someone that you love them. Yeah. I, I thought, completely yeah. connect with you on that. I thought that's how I needed to be shown that I was loved. Right. So I'm not going to judge myself for how I somehow no. got that belief. Yeah. I think it's valid. Totally. Um, well, exactly what Em was saying. It's like you grow up if you have like a stable home mm -hmm. with your parents anticipating mm -hmm. or parent anticipating yes. what you need. 
That's the only way you learn what love is when you're from zero to 14. Exactly. 15, like you have someone anticipating your needs. Mm -hmm. So it makes sense. So big shift. <laughs> big shift. So thank way, you. Yeah. Fucking thank you, Em and Jen, mm -hmm. for being on. You truly are our new favorite people. And we haven't been able to stop talking about this interview. So thank you. And thank you to our listeners who I hope have made it through successfully to the end mm -hmm. and have a lot to reflect on maybe. Yeah, maybe journal. Um, have some grace. Definitely share this one with someone. This is such an important episode to share yeah. because I hope a lot of us have these issues. And I don't mean that because I I wish bad on other people. I just wish I connection be with other people. Yeah. <laughs> There's a few things I've said where yeah. I'm like, I wish community for myself. Mm -hmm, <laughs> um, mm -hmm. So definitely share this one. I think it's yeah. a really good one to talk through with someone as well, whether that's your partner, your best friend. Yeah. Um, I clearly talked through it with both. So. <laughs> exactly. Um, also, head on over to Apple Podcasts or Spotify to rate, review, and subscribe to Honey Do Me. It means a whole heck of a lot. Sure does. Um, leave us a written review. Mm -hmm. maybe give yourself a little bit of time. Don't write it immediately after listening. Because you're going to be mean to me after this. <laughs> I think, like I was. Yeah, don't mock us. Yeah. Don't mock us. Sorry. Don't be 14-year-old Emma. <laughs> <laughs> That's how she knew how to defend herself. She was fucking mean. She was strong. I was strong. Eat your heart out. I'm the strong one. I'm, <laughs> I'm not, not nervous. nervous. I am her. And on that note, we love you. See you next week. Bye. Bye.